Our scripture reading today comes from the book of Mark, chapter 4, verses 21 through 34. Jesus said to them, Is a lamp brought to be put under a basket or under a bed? Isn't it to be put on a lampstand? For there is nothing hidden that will not be revealed, and nothing concealed that will not be brought to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him listen. And he said to them, Pay attention to what you hear. By the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And more will be added to you. For whoever has, more will be given to him. And whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. The kingdom of God, he said, is like this. A man scatters seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day. The seed sprouts and grows, although he doesn't know how. The soil produces crop by itself, first the blade, then the head, then the full grain on the head. As soon as the, crops, the crop is ready, he sends for the sickle because the harvest has come. And he said, what can, to what can we compare the kingdom of God or what parable can we use to describe it? It is like a mustard seed that when put upon the ground, on the soil is the smallest of all seeds on the ground. And when it is sown, it comes up and grows taller than the garden plants and produces large branches so that the birds of the sky can nest in its shade. He was speaking the word to them with many parables like these as they were able to understand. He did not speak to them without a parable. Privately, however, he explained everything to his own disciples. This is the word of the Lord. All right, so week two of the parables of the kingdom with Jesus and Mark. If you will, let's pray together. And ask that the Lord would open the eyes of our heart so that we might see him. Father, we pray your spirit would be on us. We know that we already are filled with your spirit. It attests to the new life that we have. And it gives us gifts that we use to serve one another. But would your spirit be with us now, opening our eyes to see the truth? of the kingdom. God, may our lives be changed as we consider what Jesus says to us this morning. In his name, amen. So last week, we began talking about Jesus and his use of parables. And one of the things that we said that's actually a little bit counterintuitive to how we've understood parables is that Jesus actually presents the teaching of parables not with the goal of making something that's deep and spiritually complicated simple, but rather with the goal of obscuring it from those who don't have eyes of faith. If you recall, he told that very famous parable about the sower who casts seed and some lands on the hard road and some on rocky ground and some on thorny ground and some on soil that is rich and ready to receive. And he talked about the outcome of the seed and the plant that it lands on each of the soil. But without going into that parable again, I just want to recall, I want to remind us of what Jesus says in the middle. When, when, when the disciples ask him, why do you speak in parables? He says, I speak in parables so that the secret of the kingdom of God 
has been given to you, but to those outside it comes in parables so that they may indeed look and yet not perceive, and they may indeed listen and yet not understand. Jesus teaches in parables to confound. That's not how we think about Jesus, is it? When we think about Jesus, Jesus, in our minds, his main goal is that everybody would see the truth, everybody would have a good life, and that everybody would find God. That's what we hear about Jesus. And yet, in the beginning of what he would call his primary work, the teaching of the kingdom of God, he says, actually, I want to confound everybody who is not in. And those who are not in are the ones who see with physical eyes and as such miss all that God is doing in his kingdom here on earth. And those who are in are the ones who come with the eyes of faith. And what's interesting is the eyes of faith can't be haughty. They can't be arrogant because they realize that sight is a gift. Now you might not even realize this about physical sight, but it's a gift. You're not promised the ability to see while it's normal and normative and, and most people come into the earth with eyesight and most people leave the earth with lesser eyesight granted, but still sight, it's not guaranteed. And the thing is, when we live in the physical understandings, and I would even say the scientific understandings of the earth, we can only speak in such terms that we understand things are the way they are just because. And so, of course, you have sight. It's not strange that you have sight. It's not strange that you live. But have you ever considered how none of this was your choice? Have you ever considered that you didn't choose your parents? We've talked about this before, I think. But, but let's revisit it because it's important. And you need the ridiculousness of this imagery so that you can understand the kingdom and how it works. There's not a waiting hall in heaven where all the unborn people live and they decide where and with whom they wish to live. You are born and your parents, whoever they are, are not your choice. And the place, wherever that is, is not your choice, right? And yet, so much of your life is determined by that little action that little event, your birth, who you were born to, how much money you're born into, where in the world you're born, and you have nothing to do with it. All of life is a gift, it's grace. You did not will yourself into life. You don't will yourself to have sight, and you can lose it just like that. And so Jesus comes and he says, when you look with the eyes of the flesh, you understand yourself in control of your destiny. And we hear this a lot, don't we? You control your fate, so go out and make it happen. Right? It's a fairy tale that could almost only be constructed in the West and in the midst of affluence. You control your fate. If you want it, you can do it. Go get it. But Jesus says, my teachings will confound people who think like that. People who think in religious terms, wherein if I do enough good, God is indebted to me. 
it will confound people who think in uh, Greek and, and Roman terms, in, in the land in which they're, uh, which they're occupied, right? If I have enough power, I can make anything happen. Jesus comes and he says, these parables will not make sense to them. Because if the parable were told according to, uh, to the Pharisees or to uh, the, the Roman occupiers, the sower wouldn't cast seed just anywhere. There would be multiple sowers, and one would sow on the ground, and one would sow in the good earth, and the one who sowed in the earth and grew plants, it's because they did what was right. And the ones who didn't is because they did what was wrong. Do you see what I'm saying? Like the eyes of the flesh see in these, these base terms of my work. I did right, therefore I got right. But the eyes of the spirit, the eyes of faith, see that God is doing something. And so Jesus talks, he says in these parables, to confound, to confront. And you will only see it through faith. I love it. I, I, I love it because Jesus doesn't stop there. Now, if we stop there and Jesus was like, actually, you need some sort of magic Holy Spirit Rosetta Stone to understand anything that I'm saying, uh, part of the reason that I would kind of be like, ugh, is because I know that I, I wouldn't be the one understanding it, right? Because a lot of the stuff that Jesus teaches, when I actually, like, when it sinks into my head and my heart what he's saying it's like, yeah, that's not how I would have done it, right? That's not, that's not the best way, Jesus. Do you ever feel that way? When God is doing something in your life, opening a door, closing it, telling you go this way and not that, do you ever feel that sense of like, yeah, I don't know if you've got the vantage point that I have, and maybe you should have consulted me before closing that door. Right? We all feel that way, and we don't see what God is doing except by the gift of faith. And yet Jesus keeps going, and listen to what he says. I love it here because this is one of those, like if you grew up in the church, you grew up singing a song based on this. Right? Y'all know it, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Right? And, and then there are more verses. And what's, what's the best one when you're a kid? Because you get to scream. Hide it under a bushel. No! I'm going to let it shine. And here we are. Jesus has just talked about how he conceals the parables, and then the very next thing he says is, <clears throat> is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed? Isn't it to be put on the lampstand? So you get the point, right? You bring a lamp into a room because the room is dark, and you want to illuminate the room. And light illuminates best when there's no obstruction, right? Obstructions cause shade and increase darkness. So if all the lights were out here and I had a mag light and I put it in here, like you get a little glow from the back of here, but it, it would be stupid. It would be pointless. This is meant to be an obvious question. Have any of you bought a lamp and put it under a bed or a basket? Right? Like, I, I imagine that the people with Jesus laughed at this point. We don't think about Jesus being funny, but this is a funny question. It's a funny question because even Milo would be like, no. 
It's just silly. But what's not silly is the way that Jesus is using it here. So I'm going to come against a little bit stuff that we've been taught, and then I'm going to like rope it back in at the very end. So I'm going to like, if, if what I'm about to say feels a little off or hurts, like that's kind of the point, but then wait, wait, and we'll come back around. That song, This Little Light of Mine, I'm going to let it shine. When we sing it and when we talk about it and when we talk about our light, we tend to talk about our testimony. We tend to talk about, like, this truth that I've got about Jesus. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Hide it under a bushel? No, no way. Jose, I'm going to let it shine. I'm not even going to let Satan blow it out. That's the best line actually, when I think about it, right? Like, you've got, your, you've got your little light. It's a candle, clearly, even though we're, we're in the 20th century, 21st century, but we're not going to let Satan blow that candle out, right? But we're talking about our testimony, aren't we? We're talking about, like, this witness of, of, this, of Jesus, but in this case, that's not really what Jesus is talking about. Think about it in the context that we've just gotten. He's given us a parable. He said, I speak in parables because parables by nature conceal. But listen, who would bring a lamp and hide it under a bed or a bushel? No one. Think about that now in the context of what Jesus is saying. What he's saying is this thing that I am bringing, this light that I'm bringing, this thing that I'm teaching about is the kingdom of God. And we broke down the kingdom of God last week. God's people in God's place under God's rule and blessing, God's kingdom. And he's saying the kingdom is here, and I'm speaking about these kingdoms and this, this kingdom, and this kingdom is going to be made manifest. You wouldn't take light and hide it under a bowl. And so what Jesus is saying is that even though I'm speaking in these confounding and concealing ways now, the kingdom of God is not meant to be invisible, and it won't be invisible forever, and it won't be kept secret forever. It can't. And even I'll jump to the end so that I don't need to talk about it at the end and we can kind of hit the main point. At the end of the text that we just said, he, he was speaking the word to them with many parables like these, and they were able to understand, as they were able to understand. He did not speak to them without a parable. Privately, however, he explained what he meant. And so there's this, this public teaching with private explanation. There's this public concealing with this private revelation that's not meant to last. It's in the same way as we've seen before in Mark, where Jesus heals somebody or casts out demons and says what? Don't tell anyone. Don't tell anyone. It's concealed now, but there will come a point where the fullness of it will be revealed. And then all of a sudden, these parables begin to make more sense because we live in the time of the revelation. If I were going to be like particularly New Covenant, I would say we live in the time of revelation, right? Which I know is actually kind of a controversial theological standpoint, but revelation is happening. It is now. It is here. The kingdom of God is in your midst. It is among us. It is here already 
but not yet. And so Jesus says, these things that were hidden, even if the parables of Jesus conceal, the kingdom Jesus is proclaiming is going to reveal itself. And in fact, in our midst, it is revealing ourselves, itself. And so Jesus keeps speaking in parables. And what I want to do is unpack these parables and then just kind of fill out what Jesus is saying about the kingdom of God. verse 26, he continues telling parables. The kingdom of God is like this, he said. A man scatters seed on the ground. Again, if we remember last week, he told us that the seed is the word. The word is the proclamation of the gospel of the kingdom of God. The word is the gospel of the kingdom of God. And the seed that he's scattering is the word. And so a man scatters seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises day and night. The seed sprouts and grows, although he doesn't know how. The soil produces a crop by itself, first the blade, then the head, and then the full grain on the head. And as soon as the crop is ready, he sends for the sickle, because the harvest has come. All right, so in this parable, we're getting reality, two uh, ultimately true and conjoint realities about the kingdom of God. First of all, there is an actor, an agent. We see this person, the sower. The sower scatters the seed. The one who proclaims the word, who does the word, who enacts the word, is scattering seed. And the sower comes around later and collects the harvest. But I love this phrase in the middle. The sower plants, the sower reaps, but something happens in between. The plant grows. And there's this little phrase. The seed sprouts and grows, although he, the sower, doesn't know how. There's an element in this story that Jesus is talking about that we need to recognize in, in a Christianity and in a culture that has so mechanized growth, that has so corporatized faith, that has made, it's basically, the, an algorithm that we have. If you hand out this tract, or if you go this Roman's road, if you say these things to this person in this time, right, then they have these arguments, then you respond with these arguments, then they will grow and believe. Or if you preach a sermon, and you see the formula in good preachers, so sorry, but you see the formula, right? If you catch them with something funny in the beginning, you know, disarm them a bit. Give them a little principle about God and show them how miserably they fail at that. Then surprise them with death. Then all you have to say is, now pray this prayer. Cue the band. Hit the kick drum. Play those bass notes at the right level. And people will come. And here's the thing is it works. It works. Can we acknowledge that? Can we acknowledge that there's like 20, there, 
Have you ever driven through Dallas, Texas? No shade to Dallas. But have you ever driven through Dallas, Texas? There, it, it, church plants, like, you're a core team until like 10,000 people in Dallas, right? Like, these, this formula works. You can, but here's the thing, is like, it actually doesn't. It doesn't, because what we're looking to produce is not something that can be mechanized like that. What God is looking to do in his kingdom is not something that we know how it works. Now, we have things we're called to do, and so we scatter seed, and we can talk about proclaiming the word. We can talk about doing acts of justice and mercy. We can talk about contending for the faith. We scatter the seed, and at the same time, we, we reap the harvest, and so we can talk about seeing people converted, which we pray for, and seeing baptisms, which we pray for, and new people joining our midst and, and joining the work and seeing the kingdom of God grow up in this place but that middle ground like we we don't know how it happens and what's the point of that the point is that it's because it's God that does it right the goal is is a grown plant and the the this parable is not only saying the kingdom of God grows the word the seed produces plant it's also saying that the way it does it is beyond us And in this moment, the fact that the sower does not understand, the one who plants and the one who reaps does not understand how it happens speaks to our desperate need for the unseen work of the Holy Spirit in the tasks and the mission that God has given us. We need God's Spirit to do things that we cannot fabricate that we can't conjure up. There's something happening underground. And here's what's amazing, is the whole point of it is to produce fruit. And the whole production of fruit happens outside of the control of the people who are planting and gathering. This is big, especially as we talk as a church plant about wanting to grow and to see the fruit of our labor, and to see what God is doing, I have to remind myself. Otherwise, I wake up in the morning thinking about everything that I'm not doing right or everything that I should be doing. Like we have to, I have to remind myself that it's the invisible work of the soil, of the Spirit, of the Lord that is actually bringing about the plant that I just cast seed and help reap when that return comes. So now what's interesting, and we'll come back to that in a second, is that Jesus doesn't stop in this case, or Mark doesn't stop in his narrative to explain this to us. He just keeps going. And there's another gospel about the kingdom. And so Jesus said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God, or what parable can we use to describe it? It is like a mustard seed. When sown upon the soil, it is the smallest of all the seeds on the ground. So can we, I don't know if this is you, but if you happen to be in the room and to be one of these people and you're like me, yes, we know the mustard seed isn't the smallest seed in there, that there is. We know that. Right? I, the people that Jesus was talking to probably didn't know that. Did Jesus know that? I don't know. That's a useless theological debate, so please stop. If you're like me, I'm encouraging you to stop. 
<laughs> that's funny. Um, <laughs> just stop. Because that's not the point. It could have been any seed. It could have been an acorn. It could have been, you know, it doesn't matter. But Jesus uses the mustard seed for them to understand that it is the small seed. And this seed, again, is the word of the kingdom of God that is sown in the soil. And though it's the smallest of all the seeds, when it's sown, it comes up and grows taller than all the garden plants. And it produces large branches so that the birds of the sky can nest in its shade. All right? And so Jesus tells this, this story about the kingdom of God, and he says the kingdom of God is this inbreaking thing. And what's remarkable about the kingdom of God is that if we're, if we're continuing with the seed analogy, it is the smallest seed. It starts small. It starts unexpectedly small for what it is. And I want you to think about how unexpectedly small the kingdom of God starts. Like if we're going to use a new covenant perspective on it, it starts with an unmarried couple who are children who because some conquering emperor tells them to go back home to be counted in the census. It starts with Joseph who... Joey was talking about this at men's breakfast yesterday, which was great. We'd love to see you guys at the next one. But Joseph, who doesn't get a word, he, he's not quoted at all in the scriptures, that guy. And yet is faithful and noble. And Mary, who's a child, and who receives a word from the Lord and believes it. It starts with them. And they can't afford a proper place in an inn. And so, of course, for an unwed couple with no money in the ancient Near East, there's no room in the inn. Like, let's not fool ourselves into thinking this is exclusively a vacancy problem. And so they are stuck in a, in a stable and born in a manger, witnessed by shepherds. They're not high up on society's rung is this King Jesus. This is where it starts. Small? That's pretty small. And then Jesus goes out, right? And he doesn't, he, this, isn't, this isn't Hamilton. Jesus doesn't write his way out. He stays all the way in, right? And he doesn't become the right-hand man of, of, of Caesar, no, he stays a lowly carpenter into his 30s, and then he starts teaching and collecting bums. Like bums, sinners, tax collectors, and prostitutes. And then by the time that he dies, all of them pretty much have run away and abandoned him. Save, best guess, 12 men and three women. And those three women aren't even like allowed to be citizens in Rome, right? This is where it starts. It's like the smallest of seeds. Jesus is saying this in the beginning of his ministry, where every time he does something cool, lots of people come around, but then he says something wild and everybody leaves. And here it is, him and let's, let's say 20, 100. doesn't matter. And he's talking about the whole world. It starts small. 
But when sown, when planted, it comes up and grows taller than all the garden plants. There's something about this seed that in it is the energy and the life force that, sur that surpasses all others. God is in this. His spirit is in it. And it grows. And it grows and it grows and it grows. And I love that Jesus doesn't say, and it becomes bigger than all the other plants in the garden, nana, nana, nana. Right? Like thus says the Lord, see we're bigger. No, it doesn't grow with the point of being big. That's not the goal. That it is big is a part of what it's going to do, but it's not the goal. The goal is it grows so large that it's able to provide shade so that even things that aren't plants, the birds of the sky can nest in it and, and, and they can nest in shade. Like the kingdom of God is like a seed that even though it's small when it starts, it grows and its purpose is that it would be a blessing to everyone and everything. Right? Do you understand this? You should. They should have, because it's not like God is saying, like Jesus isn't saying something that God didn't tell Abraham all the way back when he said, through your seed, love it, like the play on words that Jesus is using here is phenomenal. Your seed, Abraham, right? All of the world's going to be blessed through it. All of the world. Jesus is just saying, what God said to Abraham. Let's take it back even further because Jesus is just saying here what God told Eve in her curse. Genesis 3.16-ish. Genesis 3.16, I'm fairly certain. Nope. 3.15. And he's saying this to, to, uh, <clears throat> to the serpent and then to Eve. I will put hostility between you and the woman. I love that. Because again, the story, you would think it would be between you and the man. But it's not. It's between you and the woman. The seed comes through the woman. The promise comes through the woman. We could probably do another sermon on that. <clears throat> I will put hostility between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. And he will strike your head and you will strike his heel. Right? The, the promised seed of the woman. The promised conquering offspring. Jesus is, is not saying anything different than God has already said. Jesus comes and he says the seed is the word, but then we also understand Jesus as the capital W, true word. That's how John understands Jesus. And so Jesus says when this word is planted, when this kingdom is planted, it's going to grow up and it's going to bless everything. Everything. Even the very birds that two parables ago came and plucked it up out of the thorns. Even the birds that in their just natural state were antagonistic, unknowingly so. 
just innately antagonistic to it. They're going to rest in its shade. Family, the kingdom of God is meant to be a blessing to all. And this is what this parable is saying. It's small. We don't understand it, but we participate in it. And our participation is meant to be a blessing. And so now we come back and Jesus says, this thing is manifesting itself. No one, would, no one takes a lamp and puts it under a basket, a bushel, or uh, puts it under a bed. No one does that. Instead, they put it out on the lampstand for all to see. A lamp, the light, cannot be contained. The kingdom of God cannot be contained. And in this moment, we can understand and read this in its place where Mark puts it theologically in conjunction where Matthew puts it theologically. Like you recognize that before they're meant to be like detailed historical accounts of the life of Jesus, though they are historical accounts of the life of Jesus, like before they're meant to be properly ordered detailed historical accounts, they're actually uh, theological accounts of Jesus, the gospel. Like there's a theological purpose that goes in conjunction with the way they tell these historical stories. And so Matthew doesn't tell the Jesus, doesn't use this quote Jesus in the same uh, story. He quotes it in the Sermon on the Mount. And here's what Jesus said. Matthew chapter 5, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt should lose its taste, how can it be made salty? It's no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. No one puts a lamp, no one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on the lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. Do you see that blessing for all? It gives light to all who are in the house. It gives shade to all who are around it. It gives light to all. It is a blessing to all. So, therefore, in that same way, let your light so shine before others that they might see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. That phrase, Father in heaven, is kingly. He'll say it again later when he says, Our Father, which art in heaven, may your name carry that much glory and hallowedness, holiness among us. It is a kingly understanding, our Father in heaven. And so what we come to this conclusion, and this is where we begin to land. God is doing something. Jesus is doing something. And he starts it. And he'll finish it. But the means by which he does it is his church. It is his people. It's you and me. And so in one sense, Jesus is the capital S sower. And in another sense, we are all lowercase sowers. We are under sowers, like under shepherds. Like we we do the work, but Jesus does the work. And so for us, we can be free to do the things God has called us to without worrying about the results because we know that God ultimately casts. And when we say we and we say the church, that also means that as a church, it may be the case that we cast seed and someone else who is a part of the church reaps. Or 
we are reaping what someone else has already sown because we are the church. But the work, the fruit, the glory is God's. Do you see that? Even in this, Jesus, Jesus is the hero and not us. Jesus' spirit is the soil. Jesus' spirit produces the fruit. Jesus' divine work and word is the seed. We are not inconsequential, but we are not the center of the story either. Jesus is. His kingdom, his work, our job to extend that kingdom, to grow that kingdom, and to be a blessing to all people. We are not the hero of the story. Jesus is, but nonetheless, we have work to do. And I want to just briefly, just very briefly in closing, talk a little bit about that work. Because we're at a, we're, I don't want to like say we're at a crossroads because I don't, in some sense, you're always at a crossroads, right? Because you always have decisions to make and there's always life to be lived, right? But what I want to say is that us as a church, like we have to understand that there comes a point in time where we stop talking about and start being about. We start doing. And there are things that we are called to do and things that we've talked about doing that as we've prayed and as Alicia is working and as, a, and as a Rebecca Kalana, who I think is, I know is with the children, like we have work that we are to be about. Work of justice and mercy, work of gospel proclamation, We've talked about things like helping to just, even, even just the act of caring for our neighborhood by cleaning up trash is an act of being shade. Not throwing shade, right? Not that. Being shade to our community, right? Like even that very simple act, the act of, of meeting your neighbors and just, just, just talking to them getting to know them. These are simple acts that we all need to be doing. As a church, we want to provide plenty of opportunities to do that together. So the, the parenting class at the crisis pregnant, or at the Capitol Hill Pregnancy Center, right? Like, I know that we're a very diverse church, but we can understand the great value of helping parents raise the kids that they have. <laughs> And so giving these, providing these meals, being there to help set up and tear down, and in some cases even like play with little kids while their parents just get a break and get some like some intent, intense care for them, like that is an act of justice, especially when these families are broken and would be classified by our state, at, or by the state is what I mean, our district is at risk. Like these are acts of justice. If we can find ways, we, we are sandwiched between two schools. We happen to have a contingency of kids who are at another school. <laughs> Blessing those schools are ways of doing justice. It requires time. It requires effort. It requires money. But we are not an infant church anymore. So we have to walk in these things. And it's hard because you have so much that you're already doing. And let's be honest, there aren't a ton of us. 
but it's that small seed that casts great shade because of the great God that enables it. So let's be that. Let's cast the shade of the kingdom on our city, on one another, on our neighborhood, by the power and the spirit of the great God. And in doing so, let's see people who are far from this kingdom and far from this Jesus come to faith, come to see with eyes of faith that great gift of the Holy Spirit. Let's do it together. Let's pray.